Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you. In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book character created by Michael Bond. Oh, I love those films so much. Hugh Grant is perfect. For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate acapella competitions. It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college acapella. Sing it, brother. I lived college acapella. <laughs> I didn't mean literally. <laughs> You know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels, Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, and the two Breaking Dawn parts. Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it. <laughs> that too. Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first film. We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels. Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series. Love these. Extended editions all the way, baby. Plus, all the Mission Impossible films based on the 1960s TV series. And we've still got at least one more to go. Members got to hear us chat about The Hustler and The Color of Money, adapted from Walter Tevis's books. Get all of these books and more at our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Return of the Jedi is over. Ah, Return for the climactic clash between the forces of good and evil. Return to a galaxy far, far away. Return of the Jedi. The next chapter in the continuing Star Wars saga. The battle for freedom rages on. The heart of a hero. The courage of a rebel. The strength of a leader. The loyalty of comrades. The power of the Force. The cunning of the enemy. A destiny revealed. Is Darth Vader my father? A legend fulfilled. An epic of heroes villains, and aliens from a thousand worlds. Take your crap! The quest continues. The circle closes. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi begins May 25th at a theater in your galaxy. I'm glad you got some Java in there. Yeah, some Hatties. Hatties, yes. Hatties, yeah. And you know what I said? Right off the right off the dome. Do you know what I said? Um ah that, no, it's not that one. I don't know. It's not the mighty Chewbacca line. Is that walking? No, it's ah, do that again. And then in the re-release, in the remaster, you get ah, you He doesn't even say do that again in the original. Yeah, I know. It's not. Yeah, it's I'm not sorry. Good. I so for this watch. Yeah, we we both kind of did a, a version of jumping back and forth between the uh, Harmies Despecialized Edition. We did, and the the latest version for me it was the one that was on Disney Plus. I'm assuming that's where you were looking too. That's where I was looking too. Yeah, just to kind of compare and contrast and just see what some of the differences were as we were going. Uh, it was an interesting experience and it really uh, makes me upset <laughs> that some of these things have been added uh, to the film. Yeah. Right. But, but I want to start out with a little bit of, of love for the remaster. <laughs> Okay, love love for the remaster. Wait, well, before we do this, we should just tell everybody, this film is rated PG for sci-fi action violence. All right. So I want to start out with just a little bit of love for the remaster. 
Love okay. for the remaster. One of the reasons is I, so I went in and I, I had on my, uh, so this, after I, I started watching the whole thing on the big screen in the living room, the Disney Plus version, right? So I had the whole experience. And then I went back and I got on my iPad because I could put the two apps side by side and have Harmony on one side and the remaster in Disney Plus on the other and two separate apps. And I could press play on one and it would stop the first one. And then I press play on the other and that one would stop and I'd go through. So I could watch scene by scene uh, in in sort of order. I couldn't watch them simultaneously because the iPad doesn't do that. I would need two iPads. So that was that's how I watched it. Now, my love for it. I think in many sequences, though not all, the recoloring and relighting of the scenes was extraordinary and positive for the better. Recoloring and relighting. Uh, the stuff in Jabba's Palace in particular is fantastic. It works really well, and it works well to create the that atmosphere of believability in the creatures that, when they're well lit, sometimes don't look that great. So, um, you know, I, I think Bib Fortuna, the whole sequence of Bib Fortuna in the hallway, like in that that long passageway, um, those those things actually I think look really good. Um, and Jabba looks great. Like all of those elements look awesome. It starts to fail a little bit when you go to the desert, because now it's brightly lit already. Some of the effects, the replacements of the the skiffs look, I I think, really good. But the color of faces don't always, it it doesn't always uh, transfer well, as well, side by side with the original. And so I thought that was an interesting, um, that was an interesting thing, looking at them side by side, because I I really, uh, I've only looked at stills Never the actual movie side by side like that. What was your experience? I I debate sometimes like if they if they're changing the look so drastically in a film because I mean yeah the in Jabba's palace like the interiors of the hallways and stuff are so much darker more blue and blacks and and than they were in the original which was not quite as darkly lit a little more kind of reddish toned deserty feeling. It, I mean it's it's a big change and so i i was questioning like is this like where does this stand as far as like changes like just overt changes to the 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 core of what the film was and i it's one of those things because i completely agree with you i think that it looked great i mean the 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 revised work on the way that they colored the scenes was uh was exceptional like they did a great job of bringing that uh kind of the tones and everything and creating this world i do feel that to a, a large extent they are drastically still altering kind of the core of what the film was and uh, you know i i when I look at the original, I'm like, I don't actually have a problem with the way it looks. I think it looks fine. And I think, yeah, I mean, sure, it looks like they're creating a better mood and stuff, but did they need to? And I guess that's where I end up landing with it. And I think uh, especially because of some of the the added material, like I really would prefer just watching the Harmy uh, version of it. And um, so, so it was interesting. I mean, there there was one very specific thing that I noticed, and it was when C-3PO and R2-D2 first walk up to the door, the, the big door at Jabba's Palace. And in the in Harmies, it is you're kind of just on a, uh, a, a I mean, it's a wide two shot of the two characters in front of the door. Yeah. But in the special edition, they actually start 
like they, they did a process, a uh, digital process shot where they start real wide and you can see much more of the door and then you're slowly zooming in on the two characters. So you're pushing in on the actual shot that to, to the point where you're actually then in the actual shot that had been there when they first knock on the door. And I was like, well, that was an interesting ad. They're giving us a, a better sense of the scale of the size of this door. Again, did it need to be there? No, but that was like one small thing that I kind of appreciated that they, that they added. So it ends up being one of these things where I'm very back and forth on, you know, a lot of the kind of the the core changes that they're doing. Like they're they're doing some big uh, work to kind of kind of recolor this thing. And so I don't know. I, I guess I I don't have a a general problem with it because I find that it's still the same film. And the issues are when they add things that hadn't been there originally. And so, um, so then it's just a debate about, well, what's, what's the right way for the film to look? And I, I guess that's just one of those things where it, it's, it kind of starts turning into a preferential thing, you know? Well, I think very much so. And I think that's largely what, you know, and I, I couldn't find the reference. And I, I really wanted to find the reference of Lucas talking about what he wanted to get out of this. But part of the language that he was using was like, what comes out of the remastering effort is the movie that I had in my head all along, that due to whatever limitations they were dealing with at the time, um, the the look of the original release was didn't capture the mood or the tone or the texture of the thing that I wanted before. And so to me, that effort, the relighting, recoloring, counts as a remastering, right? That that counts as something that 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 that's like, you know, going back and redoing aliens or something like that. Just just affecting, tweaking, toning. Uh I I didn't get the sense that any of that changed what the movie was for that for me it just it brought it up to again what was also my expectation that Jabba's palace was darker more sort of haunted and like crawling with things in the shadows and in the original there were no shadows like it was really very brightly lit and so um i i think everything worked especially like in the robot torture sequence right the the droid torture sequence the contrast of the the heat on the bottom of that little droid's you know, when it starts screaming, the contrast of the red of the irons is so much more dramatic in that sequence, so much more threatening in what is otherwise kind of a dumb sequence. Like what torturing a droid. That's not how you would do it. <laughs> not how you would do it at all. Uh, and so that's where I, I feel like that part was was great. I am on board. Recoloring, relighting was fine. And then more happened. And that's where I start to struggle. Yeah, this this is uh, so it was interesting. I was looking like what were the core, like the big changes in each of these? Because you and I were, um, you know, yeah. um, as we were watching, we're like uh, debating, like, which is the film that had the most changes? And I was like, well, I think it's or, or that had the least changes. And I was like, I think it's Empire because Star Wars has the addition of that whole Jabba the Hutt sequence that, I mean, technically had been shot, but it was not what George wanted Jabba to be. So he had cut it and then um, and then he added a digital Jabba in at the time. And so uh, to much chagrin for <laughs> so for many bad. Um, God, it was but, bad. but then there and what was nice about it is there was a little addition of, of, of introduction of Boba Fett, though. That was that was, I think, what I really enjoyed about that, you know. 
and then, of course, the change of Greedo and how Greedo shot first. Other than that, it was, I mean, they do add some things here and there, like you see some shots of the stormtroopers on, on, and dewbacks when they're first on the planet. Uh, you see uh, some additional things. Um, I want to say around, uh, well, Gavin 4, you see some things. Uh, so they, they add some things, but a lot of it is just kind of that cleanup. In Empire, it's mostly just kind of cleaning stuff up. They they kind of revised the uh, the Emperor when his hologram comes in. And I want to say they actually shot a new version of it with Ian McDermott, uh, who plays the, the uh, Emperor in the later films. And... Uh, they replaced Boba Fett's dialogue with um, Tamura Morrison, and they just kind of did some new establishing shots in Cloud City and stuff like that. So it wasn't it wasn't as big or overt. If anything, they were just doing some elements to kind of connect it better to the the prequel trilogy. Um, this film ends up doing some some big changes that I I kind of feel maybe a little more. I don't know. Are these are these changes more offensive than the job of the hut sequence in the beginning? The first one is we have a new dance sequence in Jabba's palace uh, when Sice Noodles is singing this whole new song, and it's just just terrible CG. It was just it was an awful awful addition. And then at the end, they've changed the the Ewok uh, song to this new victory celebration that that does extend it. So it's not just the Ewoks celebrating, but you actually see uh, people celebrating uh, here on on Tatooine, on uh, Cloud City, and on Coruscant. And uh, so to that end, it was kind of nice, you know, a reflection of this is a celebration around the galaxy, not just here on on uh, on Endor. But um, oh, and then of course they they replaced um, Anakin with Hayden Christensen, and that was done. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Oh, you know another another interesting thing in Java's Palace. This is a more subtle change. When the dancer, uh, when when Jabba wants to, I, I, I'm never quite sure. Is he trying to like? get it on with the dancer or is he wanting to eat her <laughs> i'm never quite sure exactly how far jabba goes with any particular character but i, I <laughs> as a kid i always thought he wanted to eat her and she was trying yeah. to you know, you know pull herself away and he drops her down into the rancor pit in the original version you never see the rancor pit you never see her down in the rancor pit it's all viewed from the top surface where you see jabba and all of the people reacting as she's uh, attacked and killed and eaten by the rancor why would they do that in in the in the <laughs> remaster it, yeah in the in the new version they actually have it where you follow her down and you see her landing and and looking around you don't see the rancor but you you now see that she's down there and uh, I don't know why they did that. Why That's so silly that? to reveal that. There are big things and little things. I hate the new song at the in the uh, Jabba's Lapati neck. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. Me too. I hate everything about it. I hate the, the the weird blues monkey that is like like I just hate everything about it. I hate the CG of the singer. I hate that they did the CG of the singer and then gave it a 3D lip nod. Like that was just it was just awful. It was awful. And I don't know what audience they're trying to appeal to here. Are they trying to make this more friendly to kids? Like, it, it just, it lost 
all of the sense of the the original. I just it sucked the the joy and possible threat out of Jabba's palace that that I ever had. And that, so, but on the on the flip side of that, I really like the end. I hated Yub Yub. I thought that was the stupidest thing. And the Ewoks have actually like I I find the Ewoks less palatable over the years. So the fact that they removed that song and made it something a little bit more it's just sort of melodic and symphonic and and show the other celebration. I actually like that. As long as you're going to go mucking around in the movie, this is one of those changes that I think actually engages and broadens the scope of the film as part of the Skywalker saga. It does it it's I think that is a good thing. Little little tiny things. I can't like I, watching side by side when the emperor is electrocuting Luke and Darth Vader is standing there looking at him in the in the original when we're looking at Harmies, he's looking at him. He's you can tell just by body position what his by experience body is. position by the fact that camera slowly pushes in on him. The yeah. way the music is playing every it's amazing. You can read this freaking person in the seat. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing through just straight filmmaking, they were able to actually demonstrate the emotional like sense of this character, Darth Vader. And in the re-release, they make him. They, they re-record no. him saying, no, oh, and throws the emperor. And it's awful. It's awful. It just is. It breaks the, the scene. It's terrible. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So I there hate are that things that so much. Oh, I hate so that. Much. It ruins so much. so much of what the power of that scene was when you have to throw that nonsense in there. Yeah. So some of the stuff that I do that I do like again I I count this as part of the restoration and recoloring the treatment of lightsabers I think is is fantastic some of the special effects the blaster fire has been cleaned up um you know I I don't necessarily love um you know the uh, some of the stuff that was added to you know just a little bit of cleanup in R2D2 revealing hidden tools when he gets uh shot um I you know I just there, there are some things that I don't think we needed to do, some things that are and, and some things that are offensive, but some things actually work. They play for me. Yeah, some things are OK. I, I the, the song at the end, I really don't mind the song. I, and part of that is because the song itself isn't offensive. Like it's it's a, it's not a bad uh, tune that we have. It's a little it doesn't have as much build. Uh, not that Yub Dub did, but I. Um, I've never had an issue with the Ewoks. In fact, I've kind of always loved the Ewoks. It's just, a, I, I don't know. I, I'm an Ewok fan. Maybe it hit me at the right time in my life, but I've always enjoyed them. I don't have any issue with them. And I I feel um, connected to the Yub Nub song, but mostly it's just because I I kind of just always enjoyed the Ewoks. I don't think it's a bad change. I agree. I think in context of expanding the scope of where we are after potentially at this point six films although at the time that these special editions came out it was still just uh these three films it was still nice getting a sense of you know this galactic wide celebration i thought that was kind of cool so yeah i mean i i think that this this is the challenge and i think this is why the, the people who are a fan of these despecialized editions really prefer it is because 
George Lucas, more than anyone, has shown that he is perfectly content to go back and tinker over and over and over again. He tinkered for the special editions. He tinkered again on the DVDs, and he tinkered again on the Blu-rays, and he tinkered again. Like There's always another change. Like They changed Sebastian Shaw's eye color after the prequel trilogy had come out. So he's always going in and constantly making these little tweaks and changes. And it turns into things like, where do you stop? You know, and, and, and I think that's the frustration. And that's, I think why I just kind of like, I, I kind of agree with the, the, the people behind the Harmies versions. It's just like, just, just go back to what it was, appreciate it for what it was. And, you know, Yes, there may be some of these issues, but at least you're not having to deal with these other things that have been thrown in there. And it's it's uh, it's a frustrating thing. I mean, to a certain extent, it's nice knowing that you have these different things out there, but then it turns into this pick and choose thing. And, and it's like, well, I want to watch this version until this point, and then I'm going to flip back to this version, and then I'll go back to this version. And it just it just is a yeah. It's a Where chore. do you stand on the little thing? The Ewoks now have eyes that blink. Um, I, I don't know if I, uh, realized that they didn't blink. They never blinked. They never blunk. There was no blinking. <laughs> and so now in, uh, the remaster, you can look at the, when, like when the, when, uh, what's his, what's his name, uh, sits down with Leia and they're eating food. You see him, he's looking down and his eyes blink and that did not exist in the original one. So I uh, well, apparently it was subtle enough where I didn't even notice. So I guess I, I guess to that extent, it was fine. Those are little things, though, that I had already accepted the fact that Ewoks don't blink. <laughs> it was just fine. Yeah, it yeah. was fine. And now they've made it a question. So to the extent that, you know, we, when we always talk about the things that make you stop and think, I never stopped and thought about Ewoks before. And now uh, I'm thinking about the fact that in some scenes their eyes blink. And so now I'm looking all the time. When did they add eyes blinking? Well, and I'm looking and it looks like they added those for the Blu-ray release in 2011. So, again, yeah. going back to these perpetual changes that they make, and that's also the one where they added the no, the screams of no, and that's also where they they tried to do a little revision with Greedo shooting first, um, where they tried to make it seem like yeah, they kind of shoot almost at the same time, you know, uh, after all the flack that they got from from that initial change. And so, yeah, it's one of these things where it's an endless cycle once you go down this road. What's really interesting to me is that the, uh, you know, this we, we talk about all the changes that he he's made to, um, you know, the original trilogy, but uh, Star Wars fandom actually chronicles changes made to the prequels, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, as they've been made. Like, I, I disconnect the original trilogy from the overall Skywalker saga, but he tinkering knows no bounds for the team. At this point, I mean, and if you look at it, I mean, he he started back in uh, was it 1981 on the first re-release of Star Wars. I don't know if it was the first re-release of Star Wars, but the first re-release of Star Wars post Empire, and that yeah. was the first time that they added the subtitles Episode Four: A New Hope. Yeah. So it goes way back. So it's something that he constantly is tinkering with, all the way up to 2019. They when they released the 4K versions on on Disney Plus, they actually went back in again and played with the color compositing, small effects adjustments um, in the original trilogy. So yeah, it's it is it's something that they just don't seem to want to quit doing. It's very strange. 
You know, where here we are, what I'm 20 minutes in, and, and we haven't talked about where Jedi fits for you as a film. Uh, do you do do you remember first seeing Jedi? Do you remember how it how it stacked up to the original in the set of the original three? Well, I mean, I definitely loved it just as much, um, especially as a kid and the Ewoks, you know, they, they, I was the right age for them. And so I've always had that kind of soft spot for them. Um, it, dev- it came out at a point, um, uh, between Empire and this, my parents got divorced and we moved. So I ended up seeing this, um, in, in the big city in a big, uh, you know, a different, <laughs> totally different movie theater. And, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, kind of fun. Uh, fun experience seeing it. I remember though, my mom, I, I think when it opened, I think that I had, I think my sister and I had like gone to visit my dad for the weekend or something. And cause I know when I came back, it was out and my mom had already seen it. And I was very upset with her that she did not <laughs> wait for us. And so, uh, so it was one of those things. I think that was one of those times where I made her go see a movie a second time because I couldn't believe that she went and saw it without us. That's too funny. I know. Like, uh, that's, I, uh, I know. I couldn't believe it's it. Sacrilege. Sacrilege. Seeing it without your kids. I, uh, I, let's see where I don't, I don't quite remember where I was at, at that point that I saw this, but you know, I'm we, like you said, I was at the right age and I did love the Ewoks and I loved once again, they've, they take us to, um, you know, with return of the Jedi, we're back on Tatooine, but then we go, you know, to the, we, we spend a lot more time in the depths of the forest, you know, that's another new planetary locale. And I, I loved that. I was a huge fan of houses in the trees. Like I wanted oh, yeah. to live in the trees with bridges connecting like that was huge. Um, um, for me, just really uh, celebrating all of that. Um, and Luke in the black jumper. I mean, just that whole getup was such a fantastic reveal. Like, that made Luke so cool to me. Like, the green lightsaber and, like, the works. It was like, finally, I felt about Luke the way I had always felt about Han Solo that these two dudes now are incredibly cool and um and and I get it like I get what they're going for the maturing of the young jedi uh I I thought was just a just a huge win do you find han holds up as you kind of revisit this film like do you feel that he still is as effective uh, kind of that that uh scoundrel that he was in the first film because I, that is certainly a complaint with Han, the character that by the time you get to this film, you know, they've kind of neutered him a little bit. He's not as just going to use those words. Yeah, yeah he, he's not as uh, not as fun. And he just seems so mired in his love story here that, you know, he's he's just like he feels like the third wheel in this relationship. But it's only because he doesn't realize that he um, isn't the third wheel. Yeah, I don't have that problem because I feel like Han gets humanized in this one. Like Han goes through trauma and he comes out the other side and he, you know, through the course of the, uh, you know, his exploration in this movie, he ends up in a relationship. And I actually I really like it. I like that he is just the way Luke is maturing into his hero mode. 
Han is kind of maturing on the other side of it, right? He's he's he feels like he's just a little bit older, and he's been through some really hard stuff. He's been you know frozen in carbonite. Let's not let's not uh, <laughs> understate how cool being frozen in carbonite was. Like that whole thing coming out of Empire was an incredibly good cliffhanger, and the reveal of him hanging on the wall of Jabba's palace was exceptionally good for me. Like just it was everything worked in in that sequence and and the rescue too so and, well in the rescue and it's and it's interesting that they did that because at the time they weren't sure the filmmakers uh weren't sure if harrison ford was going to sign back on like he was of everybody he was the one who was the most reticent about you know signing a multi-picture deal he's just like oh we'll see we'll see and so they're like well maybe we have to leave him dead for this next film until they and so that's why they kind of froze him in carbonite like well maybe he's going to be dead and they weren't sure and then you know he signed on and and they were able to kind of do this so it's it's interesting that he's kind of played that game all the way through i mean you look at him now yeah you know he still ended up in these in in the 789 um, but it's interesting the way that um that he seemed to i don't know it's it's harrison ford he always seems to be like the grumpy one who's just like i don't know i don't know if i'm to do that oh all right fine but i won't like it (laughs) (laughs) there is a clip on youtube of harrison ford with uh it was it was promotional stuff for blade runner 2049 and he's already kind of an older guy right and he's sitting there with gosling and gosling's telling this story about his parents and how they came up somehow miraculously with a whole truck of uh cellophane and he kept using the word cellophane and eventually harrison ford looks over and says uh what's that and Gosling's like, cellophane? Like, plastic crap. You put sandwiches in it. Sandwiches in it. Oh, you do that. Like, he's totally mystified by cellophane, by plastic crap. He doesn't know, he doesn't know what it is. And it is, uh, it's, it's just one of those things that, like, when you talk about that experience of Harrison Ford as an older guy and neutered version of Harrison Ford, you can kind of connect the dots. I can see it might not be, might not have been much of an acting uh, gig here. Yeah, so. something. It's funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually, I, I feel an affinity. And I think as I get older, I feel even more of an affinity to Harrison Ford, like, or to, to Han Solo's character and his, his journey in this, in, in the saga. Insofar as, you know, he's getting older and he's struggling. And I think what, what they do with him in 789 is also interesting. So, um, you know, insofar as I feel about those movies conflictedly, I, I like what he is, the arc he is given. Yeah. 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 Uh, and you didn't mention the solo backstory. <laughs> I noticed. Why are you trolling a little bit? Because you know I'll bring it. I know you enjoy that one. Uh, you know I it's not bad. Really it's not that movie. Bad. It's not bad. Yeah. I enjoy that movie. I enjoy the casting. I think the young solo is is solid. And uh, yeah, I'm. I was. Uh, I was a fan. I. I don't understand the animosity toward that one. I, I don't think it's a it's a terrible film. I do think that I would have preferred seeing the uh, Lord and Miller version. I think that would have been kind of um, a nice kind of a, a breath of something new in the franchise. And, and the fact that that whole thing got dropped and like they were they didn't want to have, you know, creative people behind it. They wanted somebody who was, you know, studio safe. And so they brought Ron Howard in and it just all ended up feeling very safe. And I guess what I end up kind of finding the the, the issues I have with the film are the fact that they felt they had to write in 
explanations and backstories for so many pieces of Han Solo's life. Like, where did he get the dice? The Kessel Run. The Kessel, yeah, doing the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Things like that. It's like, I don't, I don't need to have all of that explained to me and shown to me. I rather would have just had a, like an adventure story with Han and his team. And that would have been great. You didn't need to give us all of that stuff or try forcing that stuff in there. And that's the stuff that as I, as I revisit it, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit like, Oh yeah, we have to have an explanation of what a parsec is and these things. It's, I don't know. I, it ends up um, frustrating me. It's still a fun film, but I just think that they could have told the story that, I mean, they already had a, a fairly interesting story. You could have had that same story and just take on all those little bits and pieces out uh, that would have worked better. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't yeah, mind it at all. Those those things actually, I, I think they played for me. Uh, but I can also see how, you know, I, I can also see your point. And I think Solo would have been an awesome, uh, uh, an awesome story like a, a longer format story for disney plus and i'm not saying like an eight-hour movie i'm saying like let's serialize his backstory and see what happens when he goes through adventures not one epic arc that's like eight eight or ten hours long but like let's just really explore his backstory and see a lot more of it i mean geez they had they had whole like han uh, solo books that they could have pulled from. They have the comics. Yeah. That there's so many yeah. things that they could pull from to do that. So, yeah, I agree. Okay, well, let's let's um, backtrack a little bit. I want to go back to just kind of like the way that this film kicks off, which is very much how the, fir- the, the last film kicked off, where you have this whole set piece. In this particular case, it's Jabba's Palace, and you meet Jabba. We finally get to meet Jabba, who we heard about in the first film. And, you know, we've always been hearing about this Jabba character. But let's, I mean, just, let's just kind of talk a little bit more about this particular sequence. Because the last we saw our heroes, uh, we had Lando and Chewie taking off in the Millennium Falcon to go to Tatooine and try uh, figuring out how they could save Han. What And then Luke's like, hey, we'll meet you there at the rendezvous sort of point. And so you're like, okay, so that's where we left things. It was kind of a this little bit of a cliffhanger, like what's, what's actually going to be happening here? And then we come in on this whole sequence here where we just see Jabba's palace, C-3PO and R2-D2 are being gifted to him apparently by Luke, who's now a Jedi. Very cool in the black, as you already said. Uh, and then Chewie shows up with this bounty hunter, Bausch. And we also see that Lando is already there in a disguise. So it's it's kind of a fun way to kind of set things up where everybody's coming together, but not how you would expect. Uh, how does that kind of work for you? Well, there are two two questions that are buried in there. And the first one is, is this the rendezvous that they were talking about? from empire when you watch these back to back that question is open to me when i saw it in the theater i didn't i hadn't gone back to watch empire strikes back right before i watched this uh you know i just saw it and never made the the connection didn't make the connection until later on you know that they were going to meet at a rendezvous point um so this just felt like the next adventure uh i think the crawl is you know now we expect the crawl the the tilt down to see our 
uh, the ultra wide of our set piece is fantastic. The well, the tilt down know, is to actually uh, we should say the tilt down is actually we get the Empire and the fact that yeah. Vader is landing at the new Death Star uh, to say the Emperor is on his way. So that's right. Yeah. So we and that's that what, that's where I wonder. Like I think that that is a is a fantastic way to just open the film, right? Because it tells uh, it gives us the setup, and I don't want to let this go because it's it kind of blew my mind that the entire intrigue in this movie is a project management crisis. The fact that they haven't built the second Death Star fast enough and they need to move the Gantt chart in. And I think this demands a Return of the Jedi t-shirt with just the Death Star project plan on it because that's <laughs> amazing and I've never seen it and I want to wear it. So I'm working on it uh, because this whole movie is a project management uh, uh, exploration. So I will say, just as a side note, you had mentioned last week about the that three D um, starship like YouTube video showing the scale of different ships and everything. And I went and found, I, I, I'm not sure if I found the same one as you, but I found one that shows like the different, uh, the star destroyers and the super star destroyer and the death star. And then it zooms out to show the second death star. And I don't think I ever realized how much so bigger much the second bigger. death star was from the first one. Cause it's just, you just see a giant ball in space. You don't yeah. realize the scale of it. And I thought that was a big surprise. Like, Oh, I don't think I knew that it was bigger. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're the, like, so, uh, members can chat along live with us in the recording and it is in the chat room. The video that I found, I posted, it's the last thing that was chatted about last week. So it's still in there. Um, but it's exactly right. This thing is, I don't know, many times larger than the original. And you don't get that sense of scale at all in this opening tilt. It's just, it's still kind of small against a planet, but it's, it is massive, massive, massive. So, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's awesome. Did you at any point when you saw this the first time, do you have any memory of thinking, wow, I really thought the Death Star had blown up and this felt like a like maybe this was the result of damage that we didn't actually see? Oh, that's what I thought. Uh, but although okay. the crawl kind of tells you, you know, yeah, the building a tells one. you, but. The way that it looked, I was like, oh, maybe they're just fixing, maybe the second one is just that they're repairing the damage done to the first one. That's kind of where my young brain went. That's that's where mine went to. Right. So, okay. So we have the second and we get the, uh, you know, Emperor's coming. So now we have a ticking clock, right? The Emperor's coming and we need to motivate the crew. Um, so... It, I, I love that. Then we get to Jabba. The droids make such a fantastic uh, artifact for transitions. I love the droids in the desert walking together, talking about, you know, uh, jibber jabber with each other. Like, I just think <laughs> it's great. And it sets us up on a new location. Love the doors. I love all of the, the big door, you know, on Jabba's palace. And the fact that we slow roll the reveal of Jabba the Hutt. Like, we're going to this palace now. We know we're going to this palace. At some point, that door is going to open. And then we have, oh, my God, the longest hallway ever. Show me Jabba the Hutt. Like, I want to see Jabba the Hutt. So all of that works really, really well for me. And, and then, of course, we get Jabba himself, who the character design is legendary. It is a legendary 
feat that they managed to create this slug-like creature and make him threatening. That was always the thing that I thought was miraculous about Jabba the Hutt, the character, because it feels like he doesn't, we never see him really move. He just has minions. And like, why? What is it that, what sort of authority does he have as a creature that he exudes over others that, um, you know, that allows him to be in such a position of power. Why does anybody care about Jabba the Hutt? And yet somehow he's the gang leader. Yeah, I I always thought he was so cool. I just loved the the, the character and the design. And, you know, we haven't uh, jumped back to like the world of uh, filmumentaries uh, in quite a quite a long time. Um, that's, uh, you know, we had talked uh, to Jamie Benning way back in one of our um, early episodes when we were doing like behind the sites and we interviewed uh, Jamie about kind of the work that he did looking at these uh, stories of, of like films. And oftentimes it was like watching through a film along with the film, but then giving, it's almost like a um, pop-up video sort of thing where you have all this additional information about a film as you're watching it. But return to Jedi uh, he has a whole documentary about Return to uh, Return of the Jedi, and also really dug in deep on Jabba and just the way that they did it with like these four puppeteers working inside this giant puppet, and like one person was one arm, one was the other arm, and the tongue. Another person was in the tail. Another person was like doing the eyes, and just like the way that they were managing this massive puppet. I mean, it's insane and it's beautiful, and they have never been able to capture that since and it because they keep going to these cg versions and that's something that i just i i i wonder why they keep returning to these hut characters knowing that they always work best when it's done this way and why they just aren't saying well let's just let's just make another one of these giant puppets yeah. instead of um doing these dumb cg ones like even in the the um the book of boba fett they go back to these dumb cg versions and it's just ugh, so frustrating and and the book of boba fett they are the dumbest of the dumb on the giant, like carrying the, the giant, like carriage with the yeah. slaves carrying yep. them. They just don't. They they don't exude what Jabba exudes here from you know forty years ago. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's very frustrating. Uh, I, I love that. I love that first one. And but also, it's like we we get to meet so many more characters, and that's what I think. Um, it's clearly. Lucas, and again, he had a different director on. Richard Marquand came on to direct this film. Again, Lucas was um, so focused on building Industrial Light and Magic and building the effects house that is, I mean, if you haven't looked at the Light and Magic um, docu-series that is on Disney Plus right now, it is absolutely worth looking at. Lawrence Kasdan put it together, and it's really kind of exploring the early days from the from the uh, inception of Industrial Light and Magic up through Jurassic Park. Um, it's definitely worth looking at just to see uh, what they were coming up with and how. And you kind of forget as you go back and watch these films, and this, this the, the series really reminded me, and I'm glad I'm watching it as I'm going through these films, to really be reminded how much they were actually beginning the world of effects here with this particular franchise. It's it's amazing the stuff that they were creating and coming up with and 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 doing to you know kind of really turn the film industry back into something that was doing these sorts of creative things. And you wouldn't have like the CG world that we have now if it wasn't for what Lucas was doing with ILM. 
Yeah, yeah. And and you can kind of, I, I, what I like about this movie as a snapshot, when you look at, at the 81 version and the, you know, compare it to the Disney Plus. 80, eight, the 83 version. 83, sorry. Uh, the 83 version. When Just looking at that final sequence where we have, like, this, the, the ability to look at the original set of effects, the original lightsaber effects, and the final battle, and the electrocution effects, and all of that, and then go to the final sequence where we get to see all the other cities where we're seeing digital sets that that have been created you get to see how far we've come in so many years like i and and the fact that those set pieces are believable uh, just able to connect those to the the volume that they're creating right now with all of the the disney plus shows like all of it just there's so little of it that doesn't work right like so little of it that i stop and think okay like the jabas they they're the huts, I should say, like the CG huts. They just don't really work for me. But there are a million little things in every frame that I don't question at all. And yeah, that's right. that's amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, definitely a big shout out to everything that they were doing. And you get that you get so much of that here with the amazing puppetry work with uh, with Jabba and with, uh, you know, his little sidekick, Salacious Crumb, the, with the insane laugh that just has always been one of my favorite things. <laughs> And just all of the characters. And then you go out on the sail barge and you're flying around in the desert and you see uh, the Sarlacc pit. And just like, I, I love the way that uh, Lucas really builds this world and in a way that is incredibly, incredibly effective. So I, I enjoy it immensely. That Salacious Crumb would have been the CG character if they'd made it today. And that's really depressing to me. I think that puppet is one of the best. Oh, so good. So good. When he's plucking C-3PO's eye out. I just love it. Truly. Oh God! Awesome. Uh, one one little note. So I, I mentioned earlier that um, that Bausch, the bounty hunter, brings Chewbacca in, and which is of course Princess Leia in disguise. But do you know who did the voice of Bausch? Who did the voice of Bausch, Andy? It is Pat Welsh, who uh, we talked about on the show uh, a while ago in our Melissa Matheson series, because Pat Welsh did the voice of E.T. E.T. And I know it's like that whole Deborah Winger thing, but Pat Welsh yeah. is the, uh, she had that raspy voice uh, that was hired yeah. to to do it. So I thought that was interesting, that's a little, a little uh, tie into the E.T. world. Yeah. So, so as far as this, as far as the setup for the story, though, so we're, we're back to this idea of, okay, we're going to start the film with a big action set piece, and then we're going to kind of kick into our story. And that's really what we do here. And I think it's very effective. You know, um, I, I honestly, and going back to your question about the, um, the rendezvous, I think the rendezvous happened earlier because when they leave, it's, it's Lando and Chewie leave together and you're left with Luke. Leia, C-3PO, and R2-D2 um, with the rebel ship. And when we come in, Lando is already there, but Chewbacca is now with Princess Leia. So I think they had to have had a rendezvous to put this other plan to, in place. They're all on Tatooine, and then they, they set things in motion. Yeah. But I think it works well in context of kicking off the story, getting the team back together. That's essentially what we're doing. We've got to get Han back into the mix. And then going off on this mission with the rebels to stop the uh, uh, the kind of creation of this Death Star and destroy the Empire for once and for all. Do you wonder if there was ever a meeting in the writer's room where they said, you know, let's let's do a whole movie about the rendezvous and it'll be a midquel, right? an interstitial <laughs> movie. <laughs> what does it take to get our characters back together? And they're all CG replacements. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if conversations right. have happened. Well, okay, this is this brings up a, a an interesting point. 
time span between stories, um, just specifically this trilogy. We're not going to get into how much time before or after. In this trilogy, between the first film and the second film, it's three years. And that's when um, they, you know, Luke meets Yoda and everything. And then between this film or between Empire and this film, it's only a year. So my first question for you is, when Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, is that essentially like being put into hypersleep, uh, hypersleep, whatever it's called, <laughs> when you're traveling in space and you don't necessarily age or you age very slowly? So is Han Solo essentially a year younger now than everyone else? <sighs> yeah, I, I like that. I like looking at that that way. <laughs> okay. He is now a year younger. Well, and he's no, everybody else is like catching up to him. That's what we're saying. Because I don't think that I think he was always older. He seems older. Yeah. Yeah. More mature. My other sure. question for you, as far as one year passing, is when mm-hmm. we return to Yoda, because Luke goes back to Yoda to finish his training, as he said, and become a Jedi. Yoda's rode hard in Yo- that year. What did he do <laughs> in this past year? <laughs> like Luke took off yes. in the last film, and Yoda's like, oh, forget it. He's off, and you know, I, yeah. I, I give up. I'm going to go. It's it's my I'm start drinking. Yeah, it's my turn to start partying it up. I have been so good. I have been. <laughs> I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and he shows just up and he Yoda. abandons me. Screw it. <laughs> He's just sitting around eating gluten. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I'm going to end it all. <laughs> My <I> gut just, <laughs> biome. <laughs> it's such a funny return. I mean, I, I love Yoda. I love that we get him. It's it's very touching when he passes and disappears and all that stuff. Like, it all plays really well. Um, but I, I do question. It's like, it's so funny that Luke finally is like, I'm going to return and I'm going to finish my training. And he gets there and Yoda's like, nah, you're good. I got to die. <laughs> and that's kind of All it. you got to do is face <laughs> Vader. Why is that the final thing? Yeah. Why well, is it that he has to go face Vader? That's, that was my question because because um, when Obi or yeah, when Obi-Wan's ghost, a force ghost appears, he says, you know, you're going to have to face Vader uh, and you need to destroy him. And Luke's like, mm-hmm. I can't kill my father. And Obi-Wan is like, well, then the Emperor already won. I'm like, <laughs> that's your answer. Sorry, you got to kill your dad you kill to your save dad. the world. It's like, that yeah. is the worst. Yeah. Oh, my God. Worst. Just terrible. Okay, but now we have to talk about this. I, think, I feel like we've gotten to, we've arrived yes, yes. at the central uh, uh, trilogy saga breakage in this movie. And that is, so what I told you was true from a certain point of view. <laughs> Yes. What is your take on a certain point of view? Well, I I feel like the filmmakers uh, from all of the properties that have come since have essentially used that as their out for any of these issues that they've created. It is the, it is like, the logical it's all, singularity. It's all from a certain <laughs> point of view, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I actually, I like that it... I like the way it plays. I think you know, if you're going to have somebody you know, do it, Al- Alec Guinness is the perfect person because, I mean, it, it totally works, right, in the, in the way that he's talking. And I get it. I understand his perspective. It is very much that uh, Rashomon style of storytelling where he told us this story. Yeah, but it's really his version of the story. And now he's like, well, okay, now you know what really happened. All right. It's just really there's there's that version, but there's also the real version. It's just how you look at it, and it does become like this um, sense of uh, you know the the 
the storytelling, the truth of the story is always in the teller. And uh, I think there's, um, I don't know, I guess it's a, it's a valuable lesson for Luke to learn, but it's also uh, an interesting tool for, for Lucas and team to have employed. Okay. In all seriousness, this is this, the central challenge that I have with all of these just sort of logical, like flaming hoops we have to jump through. Because... I agree with you that the story is told from a certain point of view, from a certain pr perspective, but a more sophisticated or mature filmmaker and screenwriter would be able to demonstrate that through the narrative itself, some sort of reveal that, in fact, Obi-Wan wasn't telling the whole story. Because you know who else says what I told you was true from a certain point of view? A 13-year-old who's trying to get away with something naughty. Like, it is cheap, <laughs> juvenile kind of expectation of the audience, and it does not hold up. I don't care for it. All of the stuff we've been talking about with the original trilogy, I'm able to forgive because of the legacy that I have with these properties. But if I were coming at them cold, I guarantee you, I would say this is so stupid. This is so stupid. Why do we why are we supposed to care about this? These characters are blatantly lying to us with no artistic like reason to do it like there's nothing i'm getting out of uh of this dialogue with obi-wan's force ghost other than i'm not lying seriously seriously see it's a certain point of view and that's why i did what i did like it just it's it makes me second guess that character for no narrative purpose he's just a liar <laughs> he's just a straight up liar He's trying to, yeah, it's, it feels like he's trying to hide the fact that he broke Darth Vader, like he broke Anakin, right? Like he's trying to hide that. And, and that has to carry on for many more movies, right? As an old man. And then, then we have to have Ewan McGregor have to like continue to level up this same lie in the, in the, uh, prequels. And it's just, ah, doesn't work. Well, and, and to that end, I, I always wonder where was the line with uh, with Lucas as far as his original script and how he was kind yeah. of putting it together and crafting it, and did he realize all of this after the fact? Um, like, because sometimes it comes across like he had not quite locked things in yet, figured it out. Yeah, yeah. and he figures it out after the fact. But figuring it out after after the fact for a certain point of view is the is like the first stab in the writer's room like what i told you was true from the certain point of view that is to me a line that has not been workshopped right that is like the the very base we know we have to change something let's put this line in there and highlight it so that we make sure we come back to it and fix it later because the audience is going to think that they're being manipulated in a negative way not in a positive emotionally resonant way and uh they never came back and workshopped it and thus we have the legacy of having to jump through these these flaming hoops to make sense of this nonsense nonsense i don't know if i re ever really have had that as strongly an issue with it as you clearly do um well it, and i like the movie <laughs> yeah know? so i i just i i think it is one of those things and i don't know i it, it plays fine for me i don't really read it uh the way that you are as far as it being kind of a uh kind of a sloppy uh first draft i i think that it it works fine in in context of what they're doing so i don't i don't have the issues but i can see your point all right but from a certain point of view 
don't I will I will turn this <laughs> ship around. <laughs> oh. Uh, Okay, so the whole point is Luke is a Jedi, but only if he kills his own father. But Luke, also being a Jedi, is not going to kill his own father. We know that he's that conflict is going to lead him to some monumental engagement, uh, good versus evil. And that leads uh, his path to the uh, the throne room with the Emperor and Darth Vader. Do you think the fact that he doesn't kill his father, uh, you know, they talk about this prophecy and all this stuff with the one who will save them, blah, 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 all the stuff from the prequels. The fact that in films 789, the emperor comes back because of cloning and it's not Luke, but it's, uh, it still is a Skywalker who ends up, uh, saving them and destroying them once and for all. Um, I don't know. It, it, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I feel frustrated with the fact that it all ends up feeling like they were trying to say Luke was never meant to save the day. He was always meant to not kill his father and by extent fail because it was Ray who was always meant to actually be the one who stopped it all. Does that ever like as you think about it, the scope of it, does it kind of irritate you? Well, yeah, I mean, I've already on the record, there's a lot of stuff that irritates me. I don't think I've ever been irritated by that until right now. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Obi's like, yeah, he screwed it up. He screwed it up. Yeah. Should have just killed now him. it has to be fixed no, another way. Yeah. I mean, Darth Vader does die. Yeah. Just, well, just he does. From, from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. <laughs> I want to know how he turns into a, a forest ghost if apparently it requires this special training that Qui-Gon started and that Obi-Wan yes. and Yoda apparently studied. Um, but uh, that was all before uh, Anakin was really going down the Star Cross. I, I don't know. I, Anakin I, just, he just knew it. He just he knew. Just he intrinsically already. was already that good. Yeah, he was already that good. I think that's the, that's the, <sighs> oh, these stories. the gift. All yeah, right. they just, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. So I, it's fine. It makes a lot of money. Okay, so we want to go back to these two points. Um, well, oh, first of all, before we leave Java, and I know we already have, but I just want to circle back real quick <laughs> just to say this one thing, that part of the sail barge scene was filmed, filmed in the sand dunes uh, that are kind of on the border between California and Arizona. And um, a buddy of mine wanted to actually do a pseudo documentary because apparently they blew the sa sail barge up out there and never cleaned it up. <laughs> Supposedly of it was one didn't. of these things oh, where they God. like did that. They probably did, but yeah, that was kind of the the rumors. And at the time they were filming it down uh, from Yuma is where they were uh, base camped. They were calling it Blue Harvest, and of course that turned into the whole thing that was part of the. Um, Family Guy, Star Wars Family thing. Guy, yeah. Um, but he wanted to do this spoof documentary about a film crew who went down out into the dunes to find the remnants of the sail barge, uh, only to, you know, come across a few, like, stormtroopers who are out there standing guard, not letting people pass by. It was this whole silly thing. <laughs> I just thought that was very funny because I was like, oh, I, I've been to those dunes. And, you know, it's it's fun to be out there thinking about the fact that the sail barge at one point was was out there getting ready to be blown up. That is awesome. Yeah. But what about the Sarlacc? Did they find the Sarlacc? Uh, you know, if they do, it certainly doesn't have a beak. 
that was that was obviously just so it doesn't look like we forgot the sarlacc has a beak and more tentacles than the uh, master so uh, that's it's done we're done so with irritated. That. it's over so um okay so we're done with we've done our little background to java now where were we okay so now now we well we we kind of already did the yoda bit but yep. now luke yep. ends up with uh you already brought into the fact that he's he's with the emperor now but we didn't even kind of cover the fact that they all go to endor and hang out with the ewoks first which um we've already talked about the ewoks um you had more issues with them now than you did when you were younger is that right yeah more issues i i I, every time i watch it i have more issues with people and i like ewoks just in general and when i i'm sure like they're soft and cuddly and fuzzy and fantastic but again it is a it's a uh like a creature that uh, a soft creature that is introduced into the narrative and um it's it's fine it's the local here are the local adorable aliens and um I, and and i just struggle with the final battle on endor being one with rocks and sticks and it just highlights the the stereotype the stupid trope of how bad stormtroopers are at their job and i don't like i stop and think every time i just don't believe that the ewoks would be able to win this with a renegade you know band of rebels a small band of rebels with rocks and sticks and so it's silly uh, I mean, I can see the point. I, I, I guess I don't end up having issues because it's not a huge contingency of, of stormtroopers down there. You know, we don't see a lot, but um, I mean, I can see. But the they point. have ATSTs, Andy, ATS. They do. They and do have ATS. And speeder bikes, which are, we haven't even talked about bikes. how cool the speeder bikes and the way they, they shot them oh. through the, uh, the redwoods and everything is just fantastic. Speeder Love bikes are five star and a heart. Five star and heart speeder bikes, yes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't have an issue with the Ewoks. I, I can see your point about the battle, although it's never been a huge issue. I do actually really enjoy the, um, the, the, <laughs> the, the Ewoks seem like they're a cute creature designed to sell toys and appeal to young kids and stuff. But when you actually watch them as an adult, you realize they actually are going to eat all these people and they clearly yeah. have eaten all the stormtroopers because all that's left are their helmets <laughs> that the they're helmets. using as drums. <laughs> they are straight up eating people. <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot more darkness going on with these Ewoks than we ever really uh, yeah. you know, dig into much. But I, <laughs> so I really well, enjoy, and, and I should enjoy say, that. I want to go them. back to the just briefly about the adats like we already know the adats are uh, not formidable bits of equipment because the last time we had with adats in empire they were beaten by tripping and now they're beaten by uh, falling like they they I get that they're that they're set up as like a joke like they're they're not meant to be as formidable as they look but I still think rocks and sticks and you're right Ewoks eat people sticks and stones may break my bones Pete they certainly break Ewoks. I mean, adats. I, I will tell you the 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 most offensive thing through the whole bit of the Ewok battle is the fact that Chewbacca has to do a Tarzan call when he's swinging yes. on a vine. That to me is one thing. As I watch it, I'm like, why would they do that? That's as well, would I put it on the same level? It's almost as bad. Maybe not quite as bad, but it's almost as bad as the slide whistle when James Bond jumps the car over that kind of curled bridge. Yeah. That is possibly one of the most offensive things I've seen in an action film. This is just second to that. <laughs> okay. From a certain point of view. <laughs> From a certain point of view. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, 
you have a favorite characters or ships? Should we talk about those? Well, it's funny, you know, I, we were talking about, I, I didn't bring my show and tell, they're all upstairs, but I do have, I, I told you I have the Millennium Falcon. The ship that I uh, have from this movie is the Imperial shuttle, Vader's shuttle, the shuttle Tiderium, uh, the big three wing thing. And it's, it's like, I don't know, two and a half feet tall, three feet tall with the, and the giant wings come out. It's a massive thing. And it has this handle underneath that you hold that serves as one of the legs and it has a trigger on it. So you can make the pew pew sounds and fly it around. <laughs> and, important. uh, it's, it's really great. It's a great ship. That is so awesome. Uh, I did also have the ad at at one point, um, but I don't anymore. There was there was a, this is an interesting bit of trivia you may not know about me. My mother kept all of my uh, all of my figures and toys and and things except for a couple that she sent me. And at one point, she met somebody in at a at an event. And we're talking about, oh, my son had all these toys. And they were like, oh, we're, we work at this museum of cultural history and we would love to do a display. Are they in good condition? And she, and she said, well, yes, they are. And so she ended up giving all of my ships that were still in great condition to this museum, which were on display in the Colorado Springs, Colorado airport for many years. Wow. Yeah. There you Did go. you look through the glass and go, my fingerprints are on those? <laughs> I I had that character's head in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Yeah, kids weird, are kids are disgusting. Weird, weird places to go yeah. with that. Yeah. So it's, Yeah. So I have some yeah. of the stuff now, but I don't have all of it, and I do have the shuttle Tiderium. Nice. Which is a weird ship to have. But it's kind of an iconic ship. It's the first new ship that we see besides the Death Star um, as it drops out of the belly of the Star Destroyer. And I always thought it was very, very cool. Yeah, so it is very cool. And then we see it again on Endor. It's on the platform as it gets blown up. One of them. What's is. your have we talked about like of all of the ships, what's your favorite? Have we have we talked about that yet? We have not. Uh, I mean I I have a favorite. Because my favorite ship appears for the first time in this film. It does? Yeah. Really? Yes. What What could it be? It's the B-Wing. Oh, sure. The B-Wing is your favorite. The one that it, it flies straight and then it opens into that kind of cross shape. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very cool. So that's, that's true. All the wings. We have X-Wings, Y-Wings, and B-Wings. That's my favorite. I've always loved the B-Wing. I just, I don't know. It's just such a, a cool design for a ship. Um, yeah. What's your favorite uh, space? Let's let's focus on space vehicles. Favorite space vehicle. I, I guess you don't count the speeders as space vehicles, right? The, the uh, like the snow speeders from Hoth. Like no, those were, no. those were always my favorite, like piloted ships just because of the look at them. Yeah, we'll get to land vehicles. So that's your favorite land vehicle is the snow speeder. Well, no, no, it's not. I was oh. saying if I could count that as something that would fly in space, I would probably count that. I don't know if we have any cannon, but uh, I, the Millennium Falcon is probably the still at the top of my list of favorite space vehicles um and for uh land vehicles man it's the speeder bike that yep. is a speeder bike for me too vehicle hands always down love those things yeah. yeah yeah so cool so cool yeah although i know i think you're also for space vehicles do you count the the twin cab cloud city cruiser the twin pod cloud car <laughs> i love that twin pod <laughs> that, cloud that's car. another fa- <laughs> favorite uh, it is i i think they're very cool yeah 
Yeah. Very cool. Very, it's very not cool. considered right. a, uh, I, what would you call that? Cause it's, I guess it's kind of in the realm of land ve- or vehicles that are more planetary, not going into space, kind of more like the, um, the snow speeder. Um, because yeah. it doesn't go into space. It just flies up in the air. And you could like, you could fly it top down and joyride it a little bit. Right. Cause there's atmosphere. It's not going into space. You <laughs> could, could you? you could top down it. Yeah, I think that's I think I, that's what they say. Is there enough atmosphere? I guess I guess Luke's hanging out outside in Cloud City. Yeah, there, yeah, I mean he's like you're standing on that landing platform and stuff. Yeah, and this true, is true. that's like Cloud City is when we start getting that um, you know the environment that they really leveled up in the prequels, which is like things are flying around all over the place, and you're in these floating like landing pads, um, which is a cool look. I don't think we have any of those in in this movie. Until the very, very end when we see the the Ewok song on, like, Coruscant. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So there are two final battles I want to talk about. The first one is still on Endor when they actually blow up the uh, the transmitter for the shield generator. And they they use that trick to get all of the, the unit, the squadron, to come out of the hidden base. And then, oh, my gosh. Andy, thank goodness, it's Han Solo and his merry band of Ewoks <laughs> aligning the top of the back, the secret entrance, uh, and they're able to blow up the shield generator. Is that after the big battle in the trees? Is it all rewarding to you? Do you feel like they've they've come to a, a new realization about themselves? <laughs> have they learned something? I, you know, I love all of that stuff down there. I, I don't have yeah. many issues with that. I think it's all fun. It's, it's all in context of, of kind of the scope of the story. Yes, I think that the, the tone of the film is definitely lighter than you get from Empire. And I don't know if that's Richard Marquand's hand or if that's kind of just the script. You know, they were wanting to have the big conclusion. And so it's not going to be as dark as Empire was, which is certainly the darkest of the films. But uh, I think if there is that point in the story where, you know, the, the, the night is darkest before the light, I think that's what you're getting up in the Death Star between Luke and Darth Vader and the Emperor. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, that big trio at the end, with the exception of the screaming no, is, I think, really, really great. I love the Emperor. I love the Emperor's, like, the character design of the Emperor. I love the full reveal of the Emperor here, beyond being just a hologram. Um, he, once again, looks like this addled old man, but he is a great force of power. And it's, you know, it's similar, again, to Jabba. is this puzzling slug creature who ap- happens to exude great power. Um, I, I think that is a, uh, that's a a neat and kind of easy trick to to uh, demonstrate authority and have you puzzled by it. It's it's a fun ride that you go on as a viewer. Uh, and the final fight is, I think, great. I often wonder what each character's motivations are at any given moment. Like, what is Luke? Luke is there trying to convert Vader because he believes in his father, right? Yeah. What is the emperor's ultimate motivation like how much does the emperor how many moves does the emperor see ahead at any given place strike me down with your take your jedi weapon strike me down with all your anger and your journey to the dark side will be complete right my impression of what he's wanting to do and this is before we have kind of a revisionist past where there can only be two siths right like we didn't know at the time 
that um, that it could only be the emperor plus one, essentially. And so I I always thought that he wanted, um, you know, I don't I, I guess even not knowing that my thoughts were he wanted Luke to strike his father down and turn, you know, to, to take his vengeance out because that would push him fully to the dark side. And, you know, he would let that hate seethe in him. And I, I think because the emperor saw that Luke was actually perhaps more powerful than Darth Vader and would kind of take Darth Vader's place by his side. So that's the thing that's that puzzles me a little bit and makes me question then Darth Vader's motivations. <laughs> like for much of that sequence, he is uh, the emperor is openly calling for Luke to strike down Vader and then take his place as Vader's replacement. And Vader's just standing there. Like why is <laughs> what but of course Vader's already said, you know, let's go strike down the emperor and rule the galaxy together. Like we know that that's part of the motivation. So there's this puzzling sort of calculus of each character <laughs> engaging in one another that if you stop too long feels a little bit strange and it is a problem i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna stop too long because it's a cool sequence and the fight is great the music is great the lighting is great like everything about it like the 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 vocals throughout that music i mean it's just it's so powerful and it, it just creates such an incredible um kind of like tone for that whole climax there is it, it just works so exceptionally but yeah you're right i mean it turns into this weird um it's like a different sort of love triangle that we have on the opposite side of endor uh between these three it's like you know is darth vader hoping that they'll just turn him evil and then it's the three of them ruling yeah if if he isn't going to strike the emperor down and it's just going to be the two of them ruling, you know, that's, I guess, perhaps what he's hoping for. I don't know. It is very strange the way that that all plays out. And you're right. You can't think about it too much because then it just kind of breaks so many things. Yeah. But the end, Luke hammering away on Darth Vader and cutting off his hand and the having the reveal of the electronics in his arm and the parallel between the electronics in Luke's arm, like all of that, I think, is just really like it's a it's nice pairing parallelism, father, son. And uh, I I find it satisfying resolution. It's it's so good. The rest of it. It's such a great resolution to the film and, and a climax to the story. I mean, it just plays perfectly. Yeah. In, in scope of the three films, this is always the the my least favorite of the three, but I still love it. It, it still holds a very special place in my heart. It, and it's moments like this that really kind of make it stand out so, so strongly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do question Luke then takes his ailing father after Vader throws the Emperor down the giant uh, thing, which I can only assume he's later sucked out in the trash hatch and is hanging for a little while from an antenna in the bottom of the Death Star. Just that's the that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps saying, Darth. <laughs> so but Luke then is able to take Darth Vader and drag him through the bowels of this new Death Star and nobody stops him. Nobody stops him. The fragility of the hierarchy of this construction project is fascinating. There are stormtroopers and Imperial soldiers wandering around everywhere running and nobody stops Luke Skywalker from dragging their boss around and trying to get away. Well, that's because he's with their boss and he's like, well, clearly he is now turned to the dark side because he's clearly trying to save Darth Vader. I think that's what they all see. You think that's what they're all thinking? 
they're all thinking? I oh, don't, good. I think they're all saying, I got to get out of here. This whole place is going to blow. I don't That's think anybody, the I think they're all. The fragility of the. Yeah. This is yeah, the, it's fragility the fragility of, of, the of any um, authoritarian dictatorship. Yeah. They're all like, everybody's ready to bail at the first chance they get. Yes. Yep. Okay. And thus, we reach the end. They get off in time. Death Star blows up big, and we get to, uh, everybody meets up for a party on Endor with, we have to assume, catering served by (laughs) the Empire. (laughs) Do you think they're all, are they all eating Stormtrooper? Is that what the feast is? They'd all be eating Stormtrooper. Oh my God, this is completely new territory (laughs) for me. I have never thought about this. What are they eating? I don't see any Subway branded anything. There's no like... There's no, it's very dark. No suddenly. company brand. It's just empty helmets, and everybody's well fed. What do you make of that? Yeah, they're this all, movie they're is all happy. so it's... much darker than I ever expected. Mm-hmm. Might be the darkest of the three. Yeah, I mean, they just all filled their bellies on all these uh, these poor saps who've been dragged into, forced to fight for the empire. That's how the rebellion was won. They ate the empire. (laughs) (laughs) They are the Sarlacc pit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do we have anything else to talk about with this thing? (laughs) Uh, I I think that is it. I mean, you know, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come right back, everybody. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Kyle Preston, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. All right, sequels and remakes, Andy. Did this go on to do anything else? Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it in our first episode. We're, we're going to save all this for later, all the sequels, remakes, and everything. I mean, this the Star Wars was so incredibly popular when George Lucas created it that it spun off, um, you know, comics and books, and you know, obviously, this whole trilogy plus all the other trilogies. It is uh, just a, a massive franchise that he has created here. Um, interestingly, in the scope of, I didn't know this, the highest grossing media franchises, it actually comes in at fifth. Do you have any oh. guesses as to what four franchises are bigger than it? I'll uh, tell you, they're not uh, things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, I was going to say Pokemon. Pokemon is number one. It is, yeah. I, I, I'm, I think I knew that. I think I knew that because I, you probably have tricked me before. But um, there's is is like, what do you get for Disney? Does Disney count for anything? It's like, is it is there a cinematic universe or a media universe that is? It's it's not bigger? the Disney princesses, which is considered a franchise. Uh, weirdly, I don't know how that they decided that the 
just the Disney princesses is considered a franchise. But Mickey Mouse and Friends is actually number three. Interesting. And Winnie the Pooh is actually number four. And that includes, like, from the books that A.A. Milne uh, wrote all the way up through all the other stuff, the, the Disney spinoffs and everything. But the second one. So what's one, number two? Uh, the second highest grossing media franchise is Hello Kitty. <gasps> Because of all the lunchboxes <laughs> yeah. and pencil pouches. So much stuff from Hello Kitty. I, I thought wow. that was very interesting that Star Wars is actually fifth. But yeah, I mean, it's been this huge thing. I mean, you know, now we have amusement parks and everything. And obviously all of the films, it's it, it's an interesting scope that they have created here. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see how they're going to continue it. I mean, at the time we're recording this, Obi-Wan has finished, and I think Andor is coming soon. Rogue Squadron is another show that's theoretically happening. Theoretically, Taika Waititi is going to be doing um, a new Star Wars movie. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious to see where they go from here and how it continues. I know a lot of people, you know, we've talked about how a lot of people aren't very pleased with what they've done. And it's this whole idea of like, well, what are you going to take as, as canon versus what are you just going to take as your own personal canon? And I, I think that's, that's where I kind of leave it off. It's like, you know, just, just take what you enjoy. And if you're not into this other stuff, then don't worry about it. It's, it's there, but you don't have to, Yeah, you don't have to dig into it. Uh, we, uh, what I understand, this is so, so uh, our friends, uh, Kyle, uh, Olson and Rob Cabosco went to the Star Wars celebration and this year, and what they got from the big stage was that going forward, movies will not be in the Skywalker saga, but all the small screen stuff will. That's like past. They're filling in the blanks with with small screen stuff, and all the new stuff is going theatrical first. So we'll see new stories. That's the idea. New stories not involving prior characters huh. from the Skywalker saga. Well, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they do. Honestly, I'm I'm a lot less excited about it knowing that I, it's sad to say because I enjoy Taika Waititi um, in concept. I And certainly some of Taika's films <laughs> I've enjoyed. But the, the last... nicest people I've, uh, that I've ever met I've liked in concept. <laughs> Exactly. I just I I, I worry that um, it's going to be tonally like what he's been doing with the Thor films. And I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of um, Thor Love and Thunder. And I'm concerned that he's just going to go down that that nonsense road. And, you know, but again. Hey, I'm just I, I love this original trilogy. I especially love the Harmies despecialized. And so, you know, I'm content. I yeah. oh. am content. All right, then how to do at award season? Uh, Return of the Jedi did well for itself. They've all, you know, been awards popular, uh, but kind of the end of the trilogy, it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's uh, it's a positive story. So, yeah, 23 wins, 20 other nominations. At the Oscars, this visual effects team won a special achievement award. That was Richard Edlund, Dennis Muren, Ken Ralston, Phil Tippett. You can actually see all of them in that uh, Light and Magic uh, docuseries. Nominated for Art Direction Set Decoration, but lost to Fanny and Alexander. Nominated for Best Effects Sound Effects Editing, but lost to The Right Stuff. 
Uh, same thing with John Williams. He lost Best Original Score to Bill Conti for The Right Stuff, and it lost Best Sound to The Right Stuff. Over at the BAFTAs, it was nominated for special... It won special visual effects, and then lost uh, Makeup Artist to Tootsie, Production Design Art Decoration to La Traviata, and Best Sound of War Games, interestingly. And over at the Saturns, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, it won Best Science Fiction Film, Best Actor, Mark Hamill, Best Costumes, Best Makeup, and Best Special Effects. Carrie Fisher was nominated for Best Actress, but lost to Louise Fletcher in Brainstorm. Uh, Billy Dee Williams was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but lost to John Lithgow in Twilight Zone, the movie. I thought that was a fun win. John Badham uh, beat uh, Richard Marquand for Best Director, winning for War Games. Uh, the, the writing was nominated, but lost to Something Wicked This Way Comes. And John Williams was nominated for his score, but lost to James Horner for Brainstorm. Brainstorm. Oh, interesting um, support for Brainstorm in a few of these awards um, places. I, it's it's a film that I enjoyed well enough, but I'm surprised that it uh, that it popped up, you know. Yeah. Natalie Wood. Yeah. So good. Uh, OK, well, then I guess we've already talked about Star Wars being number five in the biggest franchises. How did Jedi contribute to that at the box office? For the final film in the original trilogy, George Lucas and Richard Marquand had a budget of $32.5 million, which is about $83.5 million in today's dollars. The movie opened May 25th, 1983, the same week as only one other film, Chained Heat, the Linda Blair women in prison exploitation film. Clearly, the fact that it had such little competition was probably a sign that the other studios were growing wary about opening opposite these Star Wars films. This movie was huge, uh, like its predecessors, earning $309 million domestically and $166 million internationally for a total gross of $1.2 billion in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $8.5 million. Not as good as the first two, but still, you know, it's doing incredibly well for itself. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Good job, Jedi. You've done fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's doing well. All right. Well, I, you know, I'm glad we talked about it. Thus ends our first epic franchise, the original trilogy of uh, Star Wars. Do you, do, you, do you feel like you have come to a new place? Any new realizations? I just am really thrilled to have gone in and looked at these these Harmy uh, despecialized versions. I, I have had them sitting around for far too long. It's strange that it took me this long to actually finally watch them and i'm like why why have i been sitting on these they are uh they just really i mean in in the scope of what i enjoy about star wars it just reflects all of that great stuff and i mean to your point yes there are some coloring here and there that that certainly looks better but i feel like as i kind of go through this again i am probably going to want to stick with these versions of them yeah i think uh i'm i'm glad that we we talked about it but i'm even I, I think i'm just more aware at what age has done to uh, to my uh, feeling about these movies that i i have seen them many many times and every time i watch them i do stop and think a little bit more and realize just some of the things that that maybe as films it doesn't doesn't work as well as as you know other uh, franchises that I that I hold quite high, in high, quite high esteem, I struggle more with these movies and realize just how much I'm hanging on the feeling of these movies of my youth and uh, uh, about how much I I loved them then, 
is fueling my love for them now. That's okay. It's okay. But I don't, you know, who knows how many more times I'm going to have in me to sit down and watch these after, especially after we've had the chance to dissect them. Ouch. I, a little bit ouch. I feel like your inner child just died just now right here live on the air. Or you're snuffing him is more like it. Well, from a certain point of view. Is most... <laughs> well, I'm actually... My inner child is visiting Endor for a vacation with the Ewoks. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Paul King's 2014 film Paddington, the start of our look at the Paddington films. Paddington's actually an Ewok. <laughs> You're not going to be able to watch that movie the same way, I guarantee it. Oh, man. <laughs> London. Stranger danger. Keep your eyes down. There's some sort of bear. Hello. Hello there. Mary. This young bear needs our help, Henry. It's just one night. Do bears even have names? My name is... Or perhaps you'd like an English name. An English name? Paddington. 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 Paddington? Sorry. From the producer of Harry Potter. You've literally just brought home a random bear. He's much more similar than you think. (gasps) (laughs) Besides, what's the worst that could happen? Oh, no. That was amazing. He was looking for a home. Relax, not that bad. Wind, hot wind, two hot winds. Well, I hope I don't look weird. (laughs) That bear is a danger to this family. Awesome. Jonathan, don't even think about it. First thing tomorrow, that bear is out of here. But trouble was looking for him. A talking bear? You are going to make a fantastic addition to the collection. Ooh, don't know if I like the sound of that. This January... Hand over the bear. No. Oh, you don't need to worry. I think I've got the hang of things. The greatest adventure. This family needs that bear every bit as much as he needs you. He's finding where you belong. It doesn't matter that he's a different species or that he has a worrying marmalade habit. Did you say marmalade? Families stick together! Paddington. Letterboxd, Andy. Uh, we have this uh, uh, these friends over at Letterboxd.com. If you want to uh, get your own patron or pro membership at Letterboxd, start tracking the reviews that you uh, uh, do, the movies that you watch. Uh, you can do that and get rid of all the ads and support the team and support us using the discount code NEXTREEL or just visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd to get 20% off renewals uh, or new accounts. Where do you go with your letterbox review, Andy? There are things about this one that just don't, um, there aren't as strong as much as I still love it. I always feel 
like it's a four star in a heart film. Um, sometimes I'm like four and a half, uh, but I think I'm going to just stick with four, four and a heart. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, mine, I, I actually was surprised that mine was already four and a heart. I'm going to leave it at four and a heart. Uh, I, I, I thought that I had rated all of these five star and a heart and I was about to go in and actually remove a star so that I could use it for another movie later. <laughs> but uh, alas, I don't have to. Well, so, I'm surprised you didn't revise your star system so that Empire could be five, Star Wars four, and then this would be the three star film in your in your ranking where you only have those five. You've films. no, you made you made me feel appropriately shamed for that last <laughs> oh, week. Good. I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, well, don't forget, everybody, just visit thenextreel.com/slash letterbox to get your patron or pro membership. And as Pete said, it works for renewals as well. And I guess that's it. Uh, remember, everybody, you can uh, check out what we're doing over in a merch store. Maybe by the time you check it out, Pete will have created that Death Star Gantt chart <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Where already are they? Working on it. <laughs> He's already working on it. Uh, we have all sorts of other stuff over there. So you can just go to thenextreel.com, click on the merch button, and uh, see what sort of stuff we have over there. Uh, still surprisingly popular the Rusty's European Tour shirt from our European Vacation episode. Why is that, that the thing one? that sells no so many items? <laughs> I don't understand. But apparently there are a lot of Rusties out there who are taking trips to Europe. That's they my, sure are. And, and, and only slightly fewer Spicolis <laughs> right. with their Spicoli surf shop shirts. <laughs> You know what? Uh, I don't care which shirt you buy. Just go buy a shirt or a mug or something. It's fun. It's good for the whole family. All sorts of good stuff. All right, everybody. So what did you think about Return of the Jedi? We would love to hear your thoughts. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in our Discord community, where we will be talking this week about the movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth, Andrew. As letterboxed, always doeth. I got a half star. Can I do mine first? Do it. Because <laughs> I don't want you to do it. Ooh. It's from Derek. He has a half star. And he says, a redemption arc for the child murderer? Where is my Star Wars? This isn't my America. Don't forget, this man hates sand. I have a son, and we love football, and he lives in Arizona, in a federal prison, surrounded by sand. He's seen two UFOs. That's more than you, George. Have you ever been to space? Get back to your farm and make a real movie, like Gone with the Wind. Ever heard of it? Or how about the Sandlot? Classic. But no, I'm sure Mr. Lucas and his conspirers don't want to remember the golden days. Has Darth Vader ever even played football? Get real, dirtbag. God loves football and God hates child murderers. So guess what? God hates Star Wars now and he'll hate you if you like it. Hey, parents, what do you think will happen if your kid watches Star Wars? Well, I won't say it because I'm too much of a man, but I'll say this. It ain't good. Wow. <laughs> that was like... Can you believe I found that gem in Letterboxd? That was a, that was a, a spirited one. Yeah. Gosh, it's just uh, mm -hmm. spite and uh, vinegar and woo. God hates Star Wars and Darth Vader has likely never played football. And also this guy's son is in prison and has seen two UFOs. I don't even know. There's a movie that should be made here. <laughs> 
Uh, that was fantastic. That was just fantastic. I appreciate you finding that one. Um, I don't even know how I can, uh, could compare with that one. Um, so I, uh, you know, I guess I'm going to go, I was debating, am I going to go high am, or am I going to go low? Because I, I think when you look around, a lot of the low ones are people who also just kind of hate the, uh, the Ewoks. <laughs> There's a yeah, let's just say there's a lot of Ewok. There's a lot of Ewok hate out there, Pete. Um, <laughs> like some of them are really, really mean. Some of them are really, really, really mean to the Ewoks. Uh, it's a little shocking. I'm gonna. Did you see the one where the guy called Ewoks social justice warriors? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> they ate people. <laughs> I am just. I'm, but I'm going to do this one that calls out a different. Uh, angle on the Ewoks that we didn't talk about, but I think it's an important moment because it was another uh, kind of element to the story that certainly um, makes you feel for them. This is a five-star by Sierra who says, the saddest moment in cinematic history is when those two Ewoks get caught in an explosion and one of them gets up and shakes the other, but it doesn't move. I literally am still in effing tears. George Lucas, you utter piece of S. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's... uh, Oh, dear. Yeah, a uh, lot of he Star kills Wars an Ewok. Trouble. They kill an Ewok. He does. They yeah. kill an Ewok. Well, you know, we didn't even talk about the whole clerks angle to this, but there is that whole other side of this. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it, but there's it's definitely an interesting perspective on on this film and what they did with it. So, and the other thing we didn't talk about, which we probably should have, is the fact that given everything that has been done to make Mandalorian serious sci-fi, they kill Boba Fett in the most comically terrible way in the first 15 minutes of the movie. He bounces off the sail barge and falls into the thing. And for us, those of us who are just covering this three-movie trilogy, Boba Fett was dead. And that rings weird now. He's only dead from a certain point of view, Pete. I'm hanging up on you. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 